Welcome back to the Super Sapiens podcast, where we explore Super Sapiens metrics, the app features and experience, and how Super Sapiens around the world are driving the next step in human performance evolution. Homo sapiens meet Super Sapiens. When they eat, right, What? Yeah, that's the big one, is what you eat, what does it do to your blood sugar, right? And the idea is, again, just really keep it simple. How do you minimize those peaks and valleys? How do you kind of keep it a little more stable? That's really, honestly, that's the fir- first foundation. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this episode of the Super Sapiens Podcast. I'm your host, Zylan Fanake. Joining me, as always, is Dr. David Lipman. David, how are you today? I'm well. I'm very well, mate. How are you going? What's, what's news from your end of the world? I'm exhausted. Thanks to you. Could you tell everyone listening why I'm exhausted? I had nothing to do with this, mate. I got bullied into writing a piece on the Festa 500 and fueling it because you and Jack, our social manager, decided you wanted to ride your bikes early. You wanted an excuse to do the Festa 500 in November and December. So you two are riding your bikes a bit more than normal, um, a lot more than normal. And uh, yeah, complaining about it. And now I have to write about it. So for everyone listening who's not a cyclist who doesn't know, um, Rafa runs the Festa 500. I think it's between New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve, eight days where you're encouraged to ride 500 kilometers. We thought we would do that early so that David could have data for a blog post to show you how to fuel, or in my case, how not to fuel. Because on yesterday's ride, I needed an emergency stop to get me home for the last 20 Ks, but we're going to write about that. And David's a brilliant wordsmith. Um, Faceful podcast, but brilliant with his fingers, and we'll be putting together a fantastic blog for you. Um, Yeah, mate. Let's just keep moving on. Let's let's crack on. So just just to be clear for users, Zylan said between New Year's and Christmas, he meant between Christmas and New Year, they ride for eight days, not for like... 358 uh, days. So, <laughs> Proving, just proving my point, how exhausted I am. I cannot think straight, man. Um, before we get to Chris Myers, this week's guest, should we get into some community shout-outs? David, you, you had an apology. What did you want to apologize for? Well, someone mentioned this on Discord, and, and I think it's pretty reasonable. A couple of weeks ago, we teased that we had a couple of big announcements coming out. They haven't come out yet, and... He sort of said, what's going on? And uh, I think that's very reasonable. So apologies for that. Um, you always make these announcements when you think things are very close and, and likely going to happen. I very much personally try and make sure that when I say something, it's definitely happening. Uh, so yeah, apologies for that. Things have been delayed. But uh, announcement, one of the announcements is probably going to be December. Um, and the other announcement I'm anticipating could be days away from this uh, podcast going live but if not then you probably know more than a week or so so apologies for the delay and uh yeah big things coming we do appreciate that people care enough to to say things like that so thank you uh we do appreciate people waiting for announcements and we do appreciate uh checking in on them. i was about to say that very cool that people in our community are actually listening and anticipating what we're doing but I can say this, it will be worth the wait for sure. Um, next shout out we want to do, I was actually there, Ironman 70.3 Muscle Bay in South Africa. We had two previous guests on the podium in the women's race. Yeah, at first and third, so Emma Pallant-Brown took out the win and Elo Dillard took out the third place. So both had good days. Um, 
Some did it easier than others, but that's okay. That's the nature of things. And uh, yeah, I think both would be pretty happy. Uh, Elo went on and did a bit of a safari. Uh, Emma probably just went home and went and trained or something like that. So um, yeah, cool to see. Emma actually stayed down there because she will be doing a race called Double Century, which is 200 kilometers. You do it in a team of 12. So see, she's switched from from triathlon mode to cycling mode and individual sport to team mode and was looking looking forward to that. Cute thing is they booked some Airbnb that is pet friendly because they took their doggy. Uh, with them to the race so i was there at the podium on the red carpet because i was a personal swanier to louise um, helping her out and emma was there with her dog licking her face after she she won loving the salty taste probably no doubt um but very cool also just wanted to give a quick shout out for peter at the race he did his very first 70.3 and sorry i forget your surname now peter i think it is hecrid but he was wearing a sensor stopped me showed me his sensor said he's an avid listener of the podcast and he was doing his very first triathlon that day he did finish did really well so big shout out to peter um david what's going on with you what's happening with your training apologies uh so congratulations peter and apologies for xylan's lack of knowing people's surnames i mean he gave me heaps when i didn't uh know people's names in chamonix so i think it's time that i, I give him some back uh you know, he's been searching madly on facebook and the iron man tracker and still can't find your surname so yeah but uh Back to your questions, Island. Uh, I've been going well, mate, training well, uh, still running only every second day at the moment, um, but bringing some intensity in, lots of time on the treadmill, being allowed outside. So it's going well. It's progressing well, um, running up to 14 kilometers now. So building some distance in single runs and building and I have some intensity in there. So it's good. All going pretty well. Yeah, great to see you back and great to see you running crazy speeds that I can again only dream of. You are very patient in your rehab. You practice what you preach. You take your own advice that you gave out. So very proud of you. Very good to see that, man. Thanks, mate. Um, thank you. Right. Should we get to this week's guest? If you love CIA TV shows like me, FBI, military stuff, all those kind of things, this is a real life person who gets to live in those kind of situations every single day. I think you're going to enjoy this chat. So enjoy Chris Myers. Today we're talking to Dr. Chris Myers. Chris is the head coach and founder at 3 Sports Science. Alongside this, he works as exercise physiologist and human performance optimization program coordinator for the U.S. Air Force. After enlisting into the U.S. Army, he graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point and was commissioned into the Military Police Corps, serving three tours to Iraq as a platoon leader, battalion operations officer, and company commander. Dr. Myers was awarded, among others, the Bronze Star, Meritorious Service Medal, and Overseas Service Ribbon three times. Medically retiring in 2012 as a captain, he began further exercise physiology studies, eventually gaining his PhD. Man, what a guy. That's not enough. Dr. Myers has served as an assistant professor at Radford University, teaching allied health, strength and conditioning, and human performance courses. Additionally, he holds certifications in nutrition, strength and conditioning, triathlon, cycling, swimming, and Ironman coaching. Based on his research and coaching experience, he recently published the book, Triathlon Training with Power, and most recently has published his second book, The Human Weapon System. 
Dr. Myers, or can we call you Chris? Man, what an intro. What a life. Yeah, what thanks. a man. <laughs> no, <laughs> thanks. I appreciate you making it sound a lot more glamorous than what it is. I appreciate it. No, we do our best. We do our best. I guess let's start from the beginning. Like, how did you get into academics, I guess? Or, or how did you start? Uh, talk us through how did you finished high school and, and what happened from there? Well, uh, I, I, I actually joined the army at the age of 17. So I was still in high school when I enlisted. Um, and of course, you know, back then that's the late nineties, nothing major going on at that point. Um, be all that you can be, which is that's the term they just brought back is by far the army's best slogan. I think, um, you know, and to pay for college. Um, that's really the design was, um, but, after about the first eight months, I was act- I was an active National Guard in the state of Ohio, and I really enjoyed being on active duty. So I transferred over to active service as a medic and then reclassed as a mental health technician, but never got a chance to practice. Got accepted to go to the academy and, uh, well, prep school in 99, went to the academy in 2000. And of course, then... You know, uh, the global war on terrorism began after 9-11, which was my sophomore year, and went straight into combat. Uh, I went to my first deployment right out of uh, the academy, uh, fell into my platoon. They'd already been in there for six months, and I, I fell onto a platoon leader, a platoon whose platoon leader was uh, killed by a sniper. So, yeah, it was a, some big shoes to fill. And... Yeah. And then, so feeling there, learned a lot. Um, first lesson I learned is shut up and listen. <laughs> um, and that was the biggest, biggest lesson I learned up day one. Um, and that's when the lessons start learning. Um, I got blown up in four months in the theater, um, hit by a V-bid, vehicle-borne IED, uh, basically car bomb. Picked up her vehicle, flung it. <laughs> uh, we all survived, all survived several injuries yeah. i got shrapnel to my back and everything but the body armor works but everyone no loss of limbs or anything this is before all the big stuff really started going um but yeah um that that got me my first taste okay you know physiology how to really work it because i was i went out and and, and i love my commander for this put me out six hours later back out in the sector help me get over the uh the fear which is really good i'm glad he kicked me back out but I was forced to take a PT test three days later. My back was still sore and everything. Um, still did well, don't get me wrong, but I had to take a PT test while moderately injured with a concussion and stuff like that. So that I guess that started laying down the initial idea for it. But as I moved on, I'm a broken product of the Army physical training program. Typical bad knees, bad back, right? Uh, bad ankles. <laughs> um, you know, you're carrying around weight that's more than what the human body is designed for you you know basic um combat load or what we call an abl is upwards to 100 pounds body armor web uh, radios ammunition weapon uh three-day assault pack does a toll on you um and just the way you train is just not there so when i was medically retired in 12 2012 that's why i went to get go back and get my doctorate in exercise physiology. So I wanted to go back and help redesign the army physical fitness program over. And that a lot of that research is being done over in Natick, Massachusetts um, at Usarium. But there I had a good program going. <laughs> it's being released and 
you know, it's now under what they call H2F, holistic, health and holistic fitness. Great program um, for domain model. But I've now had the opportunity to start doing that within the Air Force. Um, you know, got hired on here, you know, with the 2nd Air Support Operations Squadron for 2nd ASOS as as exercise physiologists, but they've allowed me to work with, you know, help work with the other professionals here in our program to build a whole, um, build a whole program and what we want, what we envisioned. And now I've had the opportunity to, uh, work with what we call half headquarters air force to help, uh, define and rescope human performance for what we call the human weapon system for all the department of the air force. So what I wanted to do for the Army, I'm getting to do with the Air Force. And it, it, it's great. It's, there's great people. It, almost everyone involved wants to, is on the same page. And you've got, and this is the first time I've seen it, where you have people from all different scopes of medical practice. You've got you know, your regular medical practitioners, you've got physical therapists, psychologists, chaplains. Uh, we've got policymakers. We've got force design people. It's a really comprehensive look into it and how to define it, you know, from a, a programmatic standpoint. And that's where the, you know, the key definitions come in for, you know, we mentioned the book, the human weapon system is that's the base definition. That's the prism that we look, you, you can define it through and we can get all to that later, but that, I'm sorry, I, I digress, but that's kind of the whole story of kind of where I was to where we are now. <laughs> There's so much to unpack there and uh, definitely have a thousand yeah. follow-up questions, <laughs> but I, I want to take it step by step. I want to go sort of back to the beginning. Yeah, Did you have a history of service um, in your family that made you aware of it and made, made this be something that you wanted to do or did it come from a different place? So there was, yeah, definitely a history of service. Uh, my my father served in Vietnam. Uh, my grandfather uh, served in World War II, both in the uh, German and the Asian fronts as a pilot. So Army Air Corps back then before they became the Air Force. Um, so that's, you know, yeah, there's been some lineage in there, but uh, I was never really pushed to join the military service. Um, it was kind of my own choice. And I... Yeah, I would love to say it, it was honestly it was to pay for college. Really, that was the initial thought process. I'll join the National Guard, get money for college. I honestly, get a little more structure in my life too. Um, but it, yeah, once you get him in, it was a big left turn. <laughs> and yeah, awesome. And I, I guess you kind of alluded to this already, but what role I guess did the military play in in your studies decision? You sort of alluded to you know, obviously payment for college and and how you went into exercise physiology, but was there anything else there that really, uh, that sort of played a role? I mean, things like discipline come to mind, but anything else? Yeah. So I, you know, I'd always wanted to go to med medical school, um, growing up and the uh, military actually gave me two opportunities to go and I turned them down. Um, so, you know, one was, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first one was coming straight out of West Point, you know, and, you know, we're full on in um, asymmetrical warfare, what we call COIN. And yeah, you know, it's, you want a chance to serve, you know, combat, you, you sign on the dotted line, you know what you're getting into. And yeah, so wanted to be able to, you know, help serve. And that was the first thing. 
second opportunity came out um, after my second deployment. Um, I just got married and you know what? I'm not going to go back to school. I'm going to just keep going with what I'm doing. I, at that point, I plan on doing 20 anyway. And, you know, full full service, 20 years till retirement. Um, you know, so that's why I turned down the second time. So, so yeah, so there was always kind of a medical background in there um, because, you know, first was go to medical school. I enlisted when I first enlisted, I was a combat medic. And then I reclassed when I went out active duty after active guard. My um, reclass is what would, and then they called a um a mental health technician. Um, I forget what they've uh, reclassed the uh, the MOS or military occupational specialty these days, but they were just starting it out. But so that's where that came from. And then I you know I got my degree at West Point in essentially biochemistry. Uh, that's what's been reclassed as. It's back then it was chemistry and life sciences. So it was a mix. They didn't quite have the biochemistry uh, program built then. And that was the track to go to medical school, at least come out of the academy. And so that, that laid, I guess that you could say that laid the early foundations. What was it like being on active duty, going into the field? You mentioned it in your first answer there and then being under attack. Like as a young man, I mean, <clears throat> I watch a lot of, you know, TV shows with the US military, CIA kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, and I can't tell you how excited I am to be talking to you now, to talk to an actual real life person and see how close that is to reality. But immediately, I mean, you mentioned <laughs> something happening to you there that immediately sparked like 1,000 TV scenes of stuff that we can only imagine, you know, but you actually live it. But yeah, long question just to ask you. What is it like as a young man to, this isn't a TV show, this is your life. you in there, you're under attack. Like, what is that like yeah. to go through? It's surreal. It's really surreal um, and eye-opening. Um, I'll, I'll admit, the, um, my first company commander, when I first uh, came in, he sat me down, gave me a counseling. I still have the counseling statement. Um, it, it seems very brute but it was very it was it still resonates and that's where it said sit down shut up listen to your squad leaders that the first set first line in that uh counseling statement um a brand new lieutenant coming into a company that's been in sector you know for six months right yeah so they'd been you know this is the middle of baghdad right after um thunder run you know when all the the tanks came up and kind of that. So it was immediately post after that. So it's right before the first, um, the first elections. So it's in that kind of that, that gray period. Um, it was before all the, uh, OF2, all the true IEDs, all the, um, the infiltration started occurring. So we're still fighting like a lot of the remnants of, uh, Hussein's forces. And that was the first eye opener. And I remember going on my first mission, which is the second day. Um, with my platoon sergeant and two of my senior squad leaders, we're going to one of our Iraqi police stations on the outskirts, northwestern side of Baghdad. And we're just there doing our training, working security and all that. And you just hear in the distance, maybe about three blocks away, boom, a lot of boom. Um, I'm not sure. I can't remember if it was an IED or an artillery round going off. And you just see smoke going off. And that was eye opening. And the first thing I wanted to do is go investigate because that's what they teach you. Get back here, Lieutenant. Listen, (laughs) 
And yeah, and that's so it's what it is. And really to kind of sum it up, it's long periods of boredom with short, intense periods of fear. That's really what I could say. Yeah. And, you know, like on the second, my second deployment where I stayed more on, I stayed more on the base because that was my job. I was the executive officer for the same company I had deployed with on the first time. So I was dealing with, you know, the, you know, supply, communications, um, maintenance. So it was my job to kind of help get everything moving. And we were split between a couple of different bases. So I would take helicopters to go around. I wouldn't want to put people on the field because at that point, that's when you're having all the IEDs going off. And so I wasn't doing IEDs, but I was dealing with mortar rounds. And you, those they could hit you at any point. And actually, at one point, we could always tell, okay, they're going to start hitting it this time, which is kind of bad. Um, but just sleeping all of a sudden here, boom, and your day, uh, night turns into day. Um, yeah, so there's, like I said, it's just times of sheer terror, little things. And I got a bunch of funny stories with that as well. Like, there's one time we got hit, I was in the shower. And I come running out, and my sandal breaks. I drop my towel. I'm <laughs> buck naked in a um, in one of the bunkers with second platoon. So I'm 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 a young captain. I'm buck naked. Yeah. So there, yeah. Trying to find ways to make a light of it, right? I so. guess the simplest question I have is how safe do you feel on base? Because obviously, when you're out, you're never really that safe, of course. But how safe do you actually feel when you're on base? There's still that low lying um, awareness. Yeah. So there's like there, there's this right now there's this uh, theme or idea called cognitive agility. Um, it was coined by some of the uh, psychologists with SOCOM, um, and I love the coin. I love the I love this definition of cognitive agility, and it's defined as coming out of trans being able to transition from states of hyper awareness to states of openness right so where basically going from very focused stressed positions where you can relax where you're asking, you know safe little things like that and how do you move in and out of that really quickly the issue with when you're deployed in these areas especially on the small fobs where we're at um so you don't really kind of move out of that state of hyper awareness. You kind of come down a little bit, but you never really come off of it. And so, and that's always the issue when you're coming off these long deployments is, okay, how do you decompress that? Right. And military has definitely gotten a lot better at it, but I think, you know, that's one of the other reasons why we have these HPO programs to where that's where a lot of the models started. So like POTIF, um, that's the, uh, that was the SOCOM version where it's, it's a four domain uh, HPO model and HPO is human performance optimization. And what I mean by a domain is different areas of focus within the human being. So, and this all comes back to the base definition of the human weapon system that I wrote in the book is so you've got in this really all based on the needs analysis. If we take it from a coaching standpoint, we all do a needs analysis, right? It's the same approach, just applying it to um, the military and tactical first responder populations. Where so we've got typically you see your musculoskeletal 
and that can have both your your, re, your rehabilitation and your performance on it. So, you know, your PT and your EP or strength coach kind of work together in the same domain. You've got your medical domain. Uh, you've got your cognitive domain, psycholog- psychological, spiritual. Um, and typically that's what you see uh, in nutrition, sorry. So that's your typical six domain model. But POTUS started more as a well-being. So you had your um, your MSK. Um, you have your psychological, spiritual, and cognitive. So it's very much on that well-being side because we, you know, coming out of OIF and OEF, we have this uptick in suicides and everything, especially in, in special operations communities. They were in, you're starting to see the same thing in the conventional forces as well. So that's where these initial models start occurring uh, with the initial ideas occurring. I remember Total Force Fitness came out in 2009 um, that was the initial concepts of this and so now it's expanded so POTIF, POTIF was the first one and then and for the army and the second one the second ones you can really start looking at starting the air force with uh air force special warfare known as aspect war uh for the pjs pararescue was um uh true north which is another wellness centric one um i think I think that was a three domain model whereas msk spiritual what and then cognitive psychological were kind of combined and then you've also have um um guardian angel as well which was definitely the true pj version of it um, and they took podif and modeled it as a um, um guardian angel I, I believe correctly so that's kind of where the lineage of the starts because of what we were seeing in oef and oif through there, both for so you know for special operations and being mirrored similar extent to the conventional forces as well. The that holistic approach I think is is super important, and I think we're starting to appreciate that. Um, look in the domains I've been in, which are very different to to military domains, but you know sporting, uh, medical training to some degree, all those sort of aspects. You're starting to appreciate that sort of more holistic approach. Debriefing, you know, I've seen personally like being debriefed on things like. Um, emergent situations, resources, et cetera. So it, it's quite cool to see that appreciation. How do you think that applies across to something like endurance sports per se? Because most people probably don't think too much of it. They don't think too much of the stress of it. They don't think too much of that holistic performance, but I think there's a lot there for them. Yeah. So let me, let's put a pin in that. And because there's a portion of that, that needs to be teased out and clarified, especially when it comes to the populations I work with. So when we talk about endurance sports, we talk about athletes, right? So when we define an athlete, they have a very defined approach when it comes to performance. It's very scheduled. So let's talk, you know, cycle, you know, cycling team, right? Um, an individual cyclist getting ready for nationals. So they have a very, you've got a training plan, you got an annual training plan that builds them up to that spot and we know we've got defined portions where you've got the preseason um you've got your base build we've got our build you've got your peak and then you've got taper and then you got the off season it's a very predictable build and of course you take the different linear periodization models to go linear block un, uh flexible uh conjugated whatever right you can really take that in there in that approach that is the issue with in human performance and HPO programs from D1 sports uh, elite programs and applying it to the military because 
military law enforcement first responders are not athletes. That is the first misconcept with this, right? So you have to change your base definition in the way you view human performance for the population. Because when you look at an athlete, and especially let's talk with uh, probably some of the main athletes for type one, no, nor it is type one, right? You control what they eat. You control when they eat. You control when they sleep. You control how they work out, right? You control a lot of different factors to get to peak performance. Military, you don't do that. <laughs> um, you can't control those factors. And the schedule is very unpredictable. So just by looking at your base definition and characteristics of an athlete, it does not apply to these populations. And so that's where the, you know, where I define them as the human weapon system. Because if you look at those three key words um, that create your definition, a human being is a biological entity that is created of several subsystems, right? You know, we talk physiological uh physiological systems emotional mental spiritual right all those different kinds of domains a weapon is a tool that is used for protection and destruction okay so typically we just think on the, the destruction side but it's also used to protect and defend and a system is just that it's an it's a organization of subsystems right so that's how you get hws human weapon system as defined as a human being as a system of subs, uh, subsystems, which physiological, um, cognitive, emotional, spiritual, X, Y, and Z, that is professionally trained to protect and defend within the realms of you know social, ethical, moral uh, regulations, right? You know, lack of a better term. The book goes into better definition of that, but that's it in a nutshell. So if you look at it that way, that helps guide how you apply HP, HPO concepts to these, um, to these populations, right? And, that, and those are very subtle differences that have become very important when you're talking about those 1% incremental gains, right? So that's the first thing I want to try to clarify with that is, so it is markedly different from athletes to, you know, tactical first responder and law enforcement populations known as the i call uh, i term as the hws or human weapon system so let's get that out of the way now back to your question so the principles for endurance sports there's a lot of crossover um there's a lot of things that you can still utilize so nutrition principles can still be used um you know for fueling timing uh, carbohydrate, macro, macro distributions, uh, utilization of ketones, little things like that. We use, we use the uh, super safe, sapient CGMs for our guys. I use them um, as part of the daily and training. So, and also education. So there's a lot of things that cross over. It's just, how do you apply those principles with the subtle differences between an athlete and an HWS. That's the key difference. So how do you do that? I hope I explained it. No, no, that is great. And that was actually going to be my follow-up question is that, <clears throat> like you mentioned, endurance athletes, it's the controllables are much easier, you know, to control, to work out backwards. What's the goal? What you're trying to achieve? Let's work out backwards. What training looks like? What sleeping looks like? What nutrition looks like? Um, 
in active service, I'd imagine there's a variety of different lifestyles, different patterns, different locations, different travel patterns, etc. How do you then work out optimizing training and performance for those individuals? Well, it always starts off with the needs analysis. That's that doesn't change, right? So the needs analysis, you you do the at um, you, you know you do the sport, you do the athlete, you do the comparison. You know, if we take it from a, um, a sports standpoint, right here, you just, you change it a little bit. You look at the career field, you look at the, um, your, your unit population, and then you compare the two. So you just take it one, one level up essentially. And so you, you get your, um, you look at, you create your gap analysis. You look at your injury, injury analysis rates, the common injuries, stuff like that. So it's the same principles, right? The same methodology that you would do, you just apply here and you just, you have to tweak it a little bit. Um, and so that's the great thing. So, and we know um, it doesn't give you the holistic picture, but it gives you a darn good picture. Um, so it's a great starting point. That's the first thing. And then within that, you start understanding, okay, travel, how that is different, little things like that. Uh, what is the unpredictability of theirs? Um, so for example, uh, the average contact time I have with one of my guys is two weeks at solid two weeks and then they're gone for a couple months and i get them back for two weeks so if you keep that in mind periodization is out the window periodization is out the window so we focus on performance tests we use benchmarks to see where they're at right now we use we have created our own set of benchmarks based off data collection and research that we feel that these guys need to be able to meet with that is specific to the second ASOS mission set that they need uh, to help them be mission ready and improve um, probability of completing the mission. Now they do have the Air Force, uh, they have an Air Force designated uh, performance test they have to conduct once a year uh, called the OFT, Occupational Fitness Test. But we we wanted to take that a little bit further. Um, And that, so we look at those principles. So we use that to guide the training so it's a very data driven uh, approach so if you look in your different uh, periodization models um, flexible periodization really kind of fits in there uh, even though it's not true periodization but we also take a conjugated approach so that's how we really kind of get around that to maximize the time that we have with them on ground yeah that makes a ton of sense to me i was gonna it, it in my mind as an SNC coach, I was thinking this has got to be like a conjugate flexible system here uh, or a concurrent system. I guess most endurance athletes are very unfamiliar with that. I mean, I'm infinite, uh, intimately familiar with it because it's my preferred, my preferred model. What do you think endurance athletes could take from your approach with, with these human weapon systems in terms of readiness? Because, I mean, I guess what I'm really getting at is these guys and, and women – you know, men and women don't get to choose when they perform or need to perform. They have to kind of be always ready. So, and I think endurance athletes, there's something there for them to learn. And I think there's a real nugget there. What, you know, what, what learnings could you bring across for them? So if you're to put this in sports terms, they're pretty much in competition all year round. So if you look at it from a team sport, let's say the, um, let's say soccer, you know, soccer teams are, they compete. (laughs) Oh, geez four or five seasons in a year. Um, yep. you know, 
And so they have to be at a kind of a peak level, you know, let's say about 95% of their max most of the year. It's the same for these guys. Um, and so we have to kind of do it that way. So um, that's the first thing, right, is like how do you maintain that high level of physical fitness when you're not quite at your peak, but you're darn well close to it with that training stress, but not reach burnout, right? And so you, you like with anything, you program it in. We do have scout, we, in the 12 month calendar, we have the ability to, we create downtimes. We force that in there. So, so that's the first thing. And then, um, so that'd be the first lesson. The second is listen to your body, right? Um, so I, I have no problem taking my guys off the program for a day. It, it, that's just where it comes talking to them, right? You can see if one guy is looking drained because I, I have the privilege of working with every guy, you know, for a long period of time. So we get to know each other and I can see a guy when he's tired, like, all right, what's going on? Let's, you know, let's take it easy today. Little things like that. So don't be afraid to listen to your body. Um, and then the common question I have, which is same with my triathletes is, Hey, I missed a workout. Should I make it up? No, <laughs> let's just move on. <laughs> so, that, you know, the biggest thing is not digging that hole, you know, having that fatigue factor. If we go by training peaks numbers, right. Creating that such a huge ATL where your, your fatigue number is like negative 26. And Hey, by the way, you have to go to the field the next day. No. <laughs> Yeah, so little we, things like that. I think we recently did an episode on, on what we call life battery, which is effectively what you're talking about, adaptive reserve, ability to adapt, all those things. And I think um, the huge difference between endurance uh, athletes and this type of periodization is you're not really digging these big holes that you then need to taper and recover from. You kind of have to be closer to max uh, preparedness at any point. So you're going to be fresher uh, and trying to train closer to that ability to perform because you don't know when you're going to perform. check that's 100 correct and then, then the other issue is how do you what we call cog, uh com, combat regeneration right is how do you quickly get them back into the fight right so for example is when these guys go to the field they'll drop about five or seven pounds granted it's water weight right so that's some of these limitations with military operations is you can only take so much food and water with you because if you're carrying it <laughs> there's only so much weight you can carry you got it's a balance between the equipment and the ammunition and the protective equipment you have to carry and then usually the last consideration is the nutrition and hydration side of it as well you know at the end of the day you're carrying between 80 and 100 pounds right you know water is not light <laughs> so there's that as well and you know, it's a linear approach, right? The longer the, um, the ops is, the more weight they lose just because of that typical paradigm. And so how do you quickly get that back, right? To get them kind of back up into the fight. And so, yeah, and everyone's different. So answer that question. How do, how do you get them back? This will be fascinating for our listeners. Like, what do you, what do, you know, I've just come back from combat. What does that look like in the, what does that assessment and then recovery look like for you with these, with these uh, human weapon systems? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely a little bit different depending on the length of it. Right. So if it's just a regular three day period, we, we have a standard protocol, seven day protocol that we put them through just because we've collected the data and we kind of know the, the average, right. 
So instead of wasting their time, let's just go ahead and get them in here, a couple days off, range of motion stuff, and then let's get you back on your load again within six or seven days of coming back. When it's longer, okay, we need to do a reset because at this point, you know, water weight's one thing, but at this point, if you're dropping 10, 15, 20 pounds, you're losing muscle mass at this point. Um, and that's going to affect your, your your overall performance. So where you were before you left is completely different now. So we have to re-baseline. So we'll do range of motion testing. We'll do 3RM testing. Uh, we use force plates. Um, and also the monitor the load, we use a velocity base training, which is barbell speed. Essentially imagine a, uh, a, a power meter for your for a barbell. It's the same concept. I love it. Um, so we've got that. Um, we also do gait analysis as well, because some of the guys, they will, Hey, we need to relook at your running. So it's really dependent on the person. Um, but there's also, it's individualistic, but there's organizational or programmatic things that we look at as well to kind of reset. And then we kind of put them on a plan and then we work on trying to get them back into it as long as we have that time. Sometimes it's rinse, repeat. <laughs> so we just, okay, quickly. All right just as best we can do with the time we got. I have a very, I have a random question for you, Chris. Um, you guys are very analysis focused. You're very performance focused. You're very intentional. Now, when you leave the military and you go back to your day-to-day -day life, let's say back in the US, you're in a relationship, you're married, marriages, whatever, relationships, they take work, they take a lot of effort. Do you put that kind of, same kind of focus into something like that, into relationships with families and friends? And, and when you're used to being so analytical and so focused and so goal-driven, what are you like, you know, if, you, if, if you're what I call David and my lifestyles, like normal average lifestyles compared to what you guys are living? Yeah. My wife is my wife's the same um she deals with a lot um she's very patient very understanding she's my rock she brings me back um and kind of gets me out of that mode um she's been with me when i was kind of racing full-time cycling um trying to get you know when i finally got my level one racing card when i was racing pro one twos um, so she's been in that field and known me as that since we've met. Um, but yeah, she really keeps me focused, keeps me grounded. Um, yeah, between her and my son, she, they're, yeah, they help me turn it off. Um, it doesn't always turn off, but really, really helps. And we're, it's a team with what we do because we knew what we were getting into with this position and we had a discussion with it as well. So. You know, that kind of when I moved from academia to here, we, we had a long discussion. And yes, this is something we wanted to do. Um, and so we're in it together. We've alluded to, to it a little bit and, and danced around it a little bit. But what is like, what does your current role look like day to day for you? So, yeah. Um, so I wear a couple, I wear a couple of different hats. Um, so I wear a strength and, condition, uh, strength and conditioning coach hat and also the exercise physiologist or EP hat. So in the mornings, um, I get up at about 5 a.m., um, try to get to the, uh, the performance center at about 6, because we start, uh, we do the entire unit. And this is in Germany, eh? Just to give listeners context. Yeah, this is in Germany, yes. 
Um, so we do probably uh, max capacity, 90, 90 uh, professionals all at once from 7 to 9 a.m. So um, yeah, that's that's on a good day. Um, it, it, you know, it fluctuates throughout the year. Right now we're going through the big period where we have a lot of people. So it's definitely scheduling management, which is a, I mean, it's a great puzzle. I mean, you try to figure it out um, and how you make it all work. So I usually get there about 45 minutes to an hour before get things set up because it's the technology, right? Get it out, um, get stations set up just so they can come in. I give the brief, which is about five minutes and they, they have at it. Um, but it's only me on the floor. So yeah. Um, it, yeah. So I try, you know, you try to coach a little bit, but it's a little more of a management issue, little things like that. And if I see something going on, we, I work with the person, but a lot of times we do a lot of one-on-one stuff as well too. So the great thing is with this population, t- you know, TACPs are great. They're very inquisitive. They know a lot about, um, uh, strength and conditioning. And that is done due to their training down in San Antonio through the pipeline. So I get a lot of good questions. They keep me on my toes and they know a lot. And so we can usually take the time afterwards. And it's just usually a five minute uh, thing to really kind of tweak, you know, uh, if they're doing something wrong or to answer questions. After that, um, and then from about 10 to 2, because um, I clean up, 10 to 2 is... I'm working other side, other things programmatically within there trying to, you know, we trying to continue to build our program. We're, I'm working contracting, data analysis. Um, and I, of course I do a lot of work from home afterwards as well because people are stateside. So when we're talking with the, um, you know, trying to bring in innovation funds to try to bring in other technologies like exosuit technologies for human augmentation. Oh yeah, we got an exosuit. Um, and you know a lot of things like that with the work that we're doing with delta g uh we have a research uh agreement with them uh we're doing a lot of work with them over there so um and their products as well we utilize their products in there same with uh super sapiens you know a lot of the work we brought in with there as well trying to bring that all together eventually and so one side products i have is with all this is to try to create a closed loop nutrition hydration system. So a lot of outside work with that as well. So that's kind of the kind of the gist of the entire day is morning training, exercise physiologist type stuff, program management, um, and innovation. Try to keep pushing the envelope type stuff in the afternoons. So that's cool. Um and forgive my ignorance, Chris, but the concept of human weapon system, is that something that you came up with? Um, and you know, did you, since being in the military, did you notice, and thanks to your, you know, endurance background, you noticed a better way to do things. Obviously there was already a high level, but you spotted how to optimize this better. But yeah, did you come up with the concept of human weapon system and and how did that come about? So I can say I coined the phrase, um, I'm, I say I'm the first to define it. So the first instance that I came across that term was a, um, oh, shoot. Um, I want to say it was a Air Command College um, article that came out. I want to say in 2009. That's the first time I actually came across that convention. Um, and you kind of see it popped up here and there um, over the years, but it was never defined. 
right? It was never defined. Um, and the and the coin the phrase that's been pretty much being used is tactical athlete. And again, that goes back to my beginning argument. Athlete is the wrong definition. Um, and that has been coined by and utilized primarily by the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, so, and they've published a lot of the, the literature and the manuals when it comes to strength and conditioning for tactical populations. But that's all that's really been done is kind of the, the, the performance side of just the MSK domain. And when we go before, when we talk about it, I said there's kind of like the traditional six domain model. Where's all that, right? So that's where I took my expertise, both in endurance sports, uh, being a coach for almost 20 years now and in endurance sports and my military experience to expand upon that. So That's super cool. I really like the way you did that. I think the uh, NSCA and similar organizations can get very focused on the barbell and not a lot of, uh, even not a lot of conditioning, to be honest, a lot of strength and not a lot of conditioning. So uh, it makes sense yeah. that there was probably a deficit. Yep. And, and honestly, we had to start someplace, right? And so where we took, you know, back in the early, early mid 2000s, what was being done and with elite athletes and D1 programs and applying it was a great start. But now we've been doing it for 20 plus years. It's not been revamped. It's not been relooked at lessons learned. Um, it's still really kind of held upon by that one organization, right? And they do a darn good job at it, but it needs to be expanded. And it hasn't, right? And so that's what I'm trying to do is try to help that discussion. Like, let's let's talk a little bit more and maybe look at it from a different prism. Really, you know, that's all I really want to do is try to kind of bring a different dim dimension to the uh, the conversation. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, on that note and the evolution, you mentioned using Super Sapiens. Uh, you mentioned using velocity-based training. Talk a little to us about technology wearables and, and sort of how you see that in your role and um, I guess where you see the industry in general. Yeah. So you have to be really careful with wearables first off, right? You got to do your homework, make sure that they do what they do. Are they, it, do they really do what they say they do? And a lot of times you'll find that they don't. Um, but the great, so I, what we really try to do is, okay, if we get approached by a company with a wearable, okay, say first off, where's the research, right? And a lot of times they'll give a white paper, like, eh, okay, but where's the peer reviewed literature, right? And then it's kind of going there and then doing the, uh, you know, being very diligent doing the research and looking at the study designs, the, uh, and the conclusions and stuff like that to really see, okay, yes, this does work. No, um, it really doesn't, you know? So like, for example, you'll find uh, there's, there's programs that are being, sold to the military where they can say they can predict injury <laughs> no that is not a thing it's not um and there's research out there that proves it right just even you know the correlation is very very small yeah i love the smile on both your faces i love it so that's one of the big things that we get across and okay so but one of the first reasons why you know also, we partnered with Super Sapiens early on is because the, the research is there, right? And so it's based on a product that is well vetted and it's very stable and 
it, the accuracy is there. Then playing with the program and fully understanding the human, the super sapiens program as it relates to performance, it worked. That's one of the reasons why we went through that. It's the same with Delta G, why we're using Delta G versus other exogenous ketones. There's 25 years of research showing that this product works. You know, so there's that as well, right? So it's trying to do the research to figure out that happens. We're partnering with a company called Fluid Logic, and you guys are going to love this. This, I think this one is going to be, this one's going to help endurance sports. It's a closed loop hydration system. And so it can utilize wearables to measure, you know, estimate sweat output or sweat rates and calculates how much you should be drinking on microdosing. And so it gives you, let's say you're sweating one liter per hour, right? And it measures, okay, you need to be drinking 15 milliliters every eight minutes, right? And it'll buzz on you and you can hit a button and it puts the water right in your mouth. Um, yeah, there's studies that they did out of Michigan with, um, with, um, Nash car, uh, with uh, professional race car drivers and improved lap performance by 4.4%. That was, yeah, that I cat. Yeah. So we're working with them to make it kind of a tactical version on that as well, because that gets after, you know, again, hydration is something that we have to have in the military. And the biggest, uh, when it came to that, the, the biggest revolution was the Camelback. And that was 20 some odd years ago. Still a great product, but how can we keep moving forward? Right. And sometimes it's a, a lot of times it's a swing and a miss. Right. But you have to try. So that's kind of where we're going with the technologies. That's the, the way I, we look at things is, OK, if we get approached, we do our homework. For one is does it do what it does. But the other thing, too, does it get after a need that we have? And that all goes back to our your needs analysis that helps you understand your gaps. So that's the other side of it, too. And so I think wearables has a huge um, place in this area, but you have to, as a practitioner, you have to see, does it meet your needs? Otherwise, you're just going to be spending money for nothing. So talk to us about that. You mentioned um, using Super Sapiens. What's your personal experience with it? What is your experience with it? With the guys you're monitoring? Yeah, what is what has been your experience of it? It's a, programmatically, it's really good at giving these guys tangible data, right? So it's tangible and actionable data. So cause and effect. So like see when they put an energy drink in their system, they see that spike and that crash. Now they understand, oh, that's why I'm tired. I'm going for another energy drink. And so you get this cyclic cycle. You can see it. I've got pictures of it. It's amazing. Um, it's others where we can show how they, when they eat, right? What, yeah, that's the big one is what you eat. What does it do to your blood sugar, right? And the idea is, again, just really keep it simple. How do you minimize those peaks and valleys? How do you kind of keep it a little more stable? That's really, honestly, that's the fir first foundation is the education piece is it gives them tangible and actionable data to look at and they can start tweaking. Okay. You know, uh, looking at my food log. Okay. You know what? I ate Popeye's yesterday and that caused me to spike. Let's see if I eat a salad or something, right? You know, 
from there and we go from there. And again, that's the difference between an athlete and HWS, right? Athletes, it's a very controlled what you eat. These guys, they eat whatever they want. And so, and, you know, and that's with any part of the military is you've got the trifecta of caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol, right? And, and it's all at different rates and that all affects sleep, right? Which is why we use aura as well, but it also affects glucose as well. And so there's that intersection between the two that affects overall recovery and readiness. So it's like, how do we, within that, um, within that trifecta of alcohol, tobacco, and uh, caffeine, how can we affect that the best, right? And that's one of the reasons why we utilize the um, Super Sapiens is with, we show them what the caffeine is, the, the mobilization of the carbohydrate and the bloodstream, but also with what you eat as well. Wow, that's really cool. And are you, you've mentioned obviously, rations are something that's a real concern in terms of weight be fluid and, and and solids right uh and you mentioned obviously using super sapiens is there something are you working with these guys to try and make sure they can handle prolonged periods of low intake or is it kind of just you guys will deal with it because you go out in the field and, and you'll adapt we haven't quite gotten that far yet so um because technology hasn't quite gotten there yet when it comes to the analysis right kind of get into that deep analysis it's it's getting there um i know several research labs that are developing the concept of digital twins and so and that's and i think that's the piece that we're missing at this point because signals are an issue when you're in a tactile environment right so you don't want signal pollution per se to kind of give away um, a position. So that's why you don't use Bluetooth. Uh, you don't use certain or, or Strava, famously. Yeah, that. Oh, don't even start it on that. Yeah. So that is a limitation. So everything we try to do is it's just educational at this point in time. And so yeah, to understand, okay, this is what happens to you when you eat this. You can start applying it to the field. But the thing is, is you're focused on so many other things, right? It's you kind of go back to what you know. And so it's really trying to get to how do we teach them to kind of train it and become muscle memory at this point. Because when you're trying to control aircraft, do a recon, try not to get detected, the last thing you're going to be thinking is, you know what, I need to be keeping my glucose up to, you know, 70 grams per hour. Because, you know, I'm moving across this train, you know, for the next four hours, right? And again, that's the same principles for endurance does apply. <laughs> it's just how do you get it there? Um, but yeah, so you train as you fight. And Chris, uh, what does exercise look like for you these days? You mentioned, you know, um, having a cycling background, reaching quite a good level in the U.S. What does uh, training look like for you? Oh, I'm a Zwift monster. Um, I love my Zwift um, just because it's it's easier and honestly it's safer. Um, you know, Zwift, I've got um, Vasa. You know, I've got a Vasa trainer and Zen 8 swim cords. So that kind of helps keep shoulder mobility and somewhat of a swimming thing going as well. Um, of course, I'm able, I'm able to train when I can in the um, in the performance facility that we have as well. But Really, it's kind of it. It's just, you know, hey, get it in when I can. After this, 
I'll be able to get a little bit of a ride in after this um, before I start the afternoon shift. But, you know, I took a year off uh, from hardcore training just to kind of rehab my back. I did a layout duez last year for Hot Root. That was a hoot. Loved it. And I want to try to go ride on my own uh, Mont Mont 2 uh, this upcoming summer. So another bucket list thing. So that's my goal right now. <laughs> that's awesome. Are you using Super Sapiens while you're doing it, or are you are you data free? Nope. It's I've got you can't see it right here, but yeah, I've got my uh, sensor on right now. I use it. Um, yeah, it just it, it it really helps just to kind of have that check. Even though at this point in time, I kind of know my nutrition, but I can't turn like you asked before. You can't really turn off that data. <laughs> I still have the power meter for my smart trainer. You know, I I got my kicker. Then I've got my dual side power mirror on my bike i captured it on three different devices got my heart rate monitor <laughs> the glue cover yeah um when i'm feeling froggy i throw my moxie sensors on get uh blood you know blood perfusion information for oxygenation levels and stuff like that so i love it you sure you're not norwegian well if i get started on that <laughs> <laughs> i love it I love, I, it. I love studying their methodologies. Before we, before we let you go, um, did you do some research into divers as well? I did, yeah. So as part of my doctoral research, um, I had the pleasure of working with uh, Dr. John Florian at the uh, Naval Experimental Dive Unit, which is NEDU. So I did just under five years there as um, a doctoral candidate. That's where I did my doctoral research and as a postdoctoral fellowship. So we worked with um, a, the tactical population, which we, we call them combat swimmers. So that's a lot of your, your SEALs, uh, husbandry workers, a little bit like that. And we looked at the effects of breathing 100% oxygen for longer than normal periods of time. So they're only allowed to breathe 100% oxygen according to the regulations for a certain period of time. We, uh, the customer um, asked us to, what if we expanded it to here? What would that do to human performance? And that's, so that's what we researched, both uh, muscular strength and uh, muscular endurance and cardiovascular endurance. And what did you find? It takes human performance <laughs> <laughs> big time. Uh, and I, oh man, it, Muscular performance was the first to come back, but we had um, usually, if I'm, I remember correctly, been, it was usually about four weeks, but we had some instances it took eight to 10 weeks for cardiovascular performance to fully come back. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. Yeah. And the mechanisms, at least when I left, were still not fully known. Uh, we were looking at that, but some of the biochemistry that I looked at as part of my doctoral uh, research was inconclusive. Uh, we had we did have a lot of uptake in uh, reactive oxygen species, but how that really affected um, didn't really get to that point. I left I left the program before we could fully dive into that. I see what you did there. Dive into it. I like it. Yeah, oh, that was actually my accident. <laughs> No, that's really good. Uh, I think uh, that's that's been so good, Chris. Really appreciate your uh, your time. Want to be respectful of you needing to get on a Zwift trainer, 
So I don't want to, yeah. uh, I don't want to keep you too much more. We, we need to support the people who are supporting the people. So, um, just wanted to thank you for your time, Chris. It's been amazing. Been really you. interesting. I'm looking forward to reading the book. Actually. I, uh, I want to get hold of a copy yeah. because I find, uh, there's lots to learn from a field tangential to the, the fields you're in. So I think, mm. uh, I think this will be a good one. So it's a really cool book. Uh, I was excited to see it come out. And uh, yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah. So the book is titled "The Human Weapon System." Um, it comes out next month. I just finished the uh, the final edits of it this past weekend, so it's in production. And yep, very cool. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Take care. Hey Dave, that was such different insight into any other chat we've had before. I mean, I was so fascinated to talk to a military guy first off. And then, yeah, just the stories you were sharing, just, yeah, that was amazing. How did you find that? Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I, I was very familiar with the concept of the tactical athlete, which he talked about, which is, as, as he well pointed out, a little bit different to uh, his his model of, of work, which is the human weapons system. But yeah, I just think it's cool to see in all aspects of the world, we're starting to not treat whatever human we're working with like a machine, right? Because they're not, they're humans, right? So it's not just about applying stimulus and assuming they'll adapt. It's not just about get it done. It's about, you know, the holistic approach, psychological, mental, all those things. And I think that's really important. We're starting to see that more in in sport, but it's good to see that happen in um, in the military. And I think at some point in business, we might get there, but it's not quite there yet. He was talking a bit about cognitive ability. He was talking about, you know, being in these different, moving between these different mindsets. What did you make of that? Yeah, I think the cognitive cognitive agility stuff is very, very um, important and very visible in some sports. And I think there's a lot that all athletes could take from this. Like, how do you, how can you be both relaxed around training and then really lock in to train properly and then get back home and be normal again, right? Or perhaps it's lock into work and then, leave that and go to training. And it's basically just the ability to, I guess, switch between arousal and, and mental focus states. And I think, you know, it's just a really cool thing. You hear, you know, white line fever often people walk across the white line on the pitch and then all of a sudden they're very different and you definitely see that. Um, so Brendan Egan actually comes to mind when he talked about how he used to be, you know, a little bit rough on the field and then, you know, he's the nicest guy off the field, no doubt. So um, yeah, that sort of stuff comes to mind. Um, you alluded to it a bit, but did you like his holistic approach and how he was basically, you know, trying to solve for the problem in front of you and not just go, oh, you know, we're trying to optimize people yeah, and treat them like an athlete. No, as he said, athlete is the wrong definition for the kinds of people he's trying to help. Yeah, I think it's super important, especially like the psychological and emotional stuff when it comes to being in those environments, right? Let's remember that, you know, sport is psychologically and emotionally draining, but this is like exponentially more so. This is literally life and death for some of these people. And I think understanding that and, and being able to um, to think about that is, is really important. You know, thinking from a chess analogy, these aren't pawns on the chessboard. These are all queens. You need to protect these people because you can't, they're not replaceable. And I think, you know, more sporting programs, particularly NCAA programs could consider this given their approach is often very scattergun and very much like we'll put a lot of volume in the bottom to get one or two at the top. I think being a bit more holistic and individualized would be really helpful to them. 
Wow, that's really important to what you said there. I mean, we treat our sporting goals as life and death. You know, I have a marathon coming up in three weeks' time, and I can already tell myself, tell I'm already starting to get more stressed, already trying to, you know, pay attention to not getting sick. Like it matters. You know, this marathon is it, it's it's just an arbitrary goal, but for these kind of people that he's dealing with, it literally is life and death. They literally are in like extreme the, the most extreme condition sometimes on earth that you can find yep spot on um listening to your body he spoke about listening to your body a bit yeah he talked about you know in in training and coaching these athletes particularly when they have an intense block around listening to your body not chasing extra sessions that you've missed or anything like that and i think it's in a context again of life and death and short time windows if these athletes or these human weapon systems or these people are doing that, we should probably be doing that in sport as much as the, you know, we touched on this in the life battery episode, as much as athletes might struggle with that. I think it's, it's sage advice and take into an extreme example. If it still holds true, then it's probably good enough for, for the, you know, the guy trying to run a three hour marathon or something like that. And then recovery coming back from, you know, active combat, trying to recover from that. Um, did you find his insight interesting there? Yeah. I mean, so I used to back a decade plus ago, do uh, a, a recovery monitoring session on a Monday after a Saturday game with um, athletes in a, in a rugby context. And I think this is something we don't really do much in endurance sport, but re, you know, taking time post event to ten, then take some benchmarks and understand where you are again and where you're in deficit, I think would be a really smart approach. Now that might be range of motion as Chris started to talk about initially. So it's, you know, do I have full range of motion or am I still tight post event? You know, then you benchmark strength. You might benchmark a few other things to make sure that you haven't lost too much because if you concede that you will optimize towards the event and that might sort of whittle away at some other abilities, maybe you need to spend some time to just rebalance a little bit before we get going again. And, you know, Kipchoge is a good example of this. He spends some time off where he does no running. And then he does a, a period where he does a lot of um, high volume sort of aerobics type work with strength, with a little like small weights and that sort of stuff, just to get back moving and get going again. And I think, you know, there's something there for us. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but it's something I, it's not something I do at the moment, but it's something I definitely consider uh, with athletes I, I worked with or maybe myself going forward. Do you want to pop up to Manchester from London there? Manchester United could do with you and the amount of injuries they've had this season with the amount of games and load. Coming back from the weekend and immediately Monday, jumping back into it to prepare for game on Tuesday, Wednesday. Something like 18 first-team athletes injured three months into the season so far already. Yeah, I, I can't make too many... Uh... Injuries multifactorial, Chris talked about this. We talked about uh, not being able to predict injury and you, you definitely can't. You can talk about risk changing, but you can't predict injuries. They are unpredictable. As the model that I tend to use is a Swiss cheese model. It's a model from flying actually that talked about flying accidents and it's also used in surgery for surgical mistakes. But basically, um, if enough small factors align, there's a hole in your cheese. So if you think about Swiss cheese, if there's enough slices where the hole lines up and you've got a hole in your cheese, and this is a concept used here. So for these athletes, you know, in the Manchester United context, it might be stress, it might be underperformance, it might be a strength deficit, it may be acute loading, they're playing a bit more, they're traveling a bit more, some stress at home, 
uh, something like that. So all these factors line up to then get injured. It's usually not quite one thing, but we tend to look at the performance staff and say, well, it's the performance staff. Let's get get a new one because it's easier to fire performance staff than than be realistic. Um, just the last thing quick he was talking about, which I know you liked, his approach to wearables. Yeah, I loved it. I think um, it's a really smart approach. Um, you've got to remember these the military is seen as a bit of a cash cow for uh, companies such as ours because they've got a big budget and it doesn't really change too much unlike sporting budgets. It's a much more stable environment. So um, I think he he would be getting emails daily about this sort of stuff. So his approach, I think, is a really smart one uh, in terms of how he uses it and then the implications for that in the field. Um, I think his thoughts on digital twins are 100% correct. That's That's where we're going. Uh, the whole industry is going that way. Everyone wants a digital twin. So I think we'll, we'll get there and, and some companies are further along. But uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to hear his approach. And I think it's um, a good way for everybody. You know, I was recently asked about this and I think his answer was better than mine was uh, when I was asked about it. So uh, hat tip to him and, and yeah. Not very hard for him, really. I mean, have you read the guy's CV? He's, he's achieved one or two things in life. Have you seen your... I, I looked at your CV earlier. Still trying to find the text on it. I didn't know if it was the text was written in white and the background was also in white, so I couldn't find your achievements. But anyway, um, thank you so much for putting that. It's written in uh, it's 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 written in Comic Sans MS, mate. <laughs> Thanks so much for putting that uh, chat together, David, and and carrying me on this podcast and doing all of the heavy lifting of producing this podcast and logistically putting everything together and scheduling everything and i just show up i'm just a talent that shows up three minutes before so appreciate your help man this is awkward given you're not that talented but uh yeah you're welcome (laughs) catch you on the next episode